All right, so we are in this ongoing series on parables. Jesus speaking in parables and and why he spoke in parables. And as you know, I'll, I'll always say this in case we have people listening on the radio for the first time. Jesus spoke in parables because uh, God determined that the, the religious elite had no interest in hearing the word of God, that they wanted to kill Jesus and destroy Jesus. And so because of that, uh, they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And in blaspheming the Holy Spirit, the curtain comes down. It is the one unpardonable, unforgivable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, meaning you have come face to face with the power of God, with the realization of God. You stood there, you saw God, and seeing God, you saw the miracles being performed, and yet you rejected it, you walked away from it because you had a private agenda. You were concerned about your own placement, not about the will of God. And what happens then? The curtain comes down, uh, and it becomes a, an unforgivable unpardonable sin. And so now God, uh, through Jesus, is speaking in parables, meaning there's, that there's a key that has to be unlocked. The parables are not easily discerned. You need the Holy Spirit to understand them. Uh, and so those who were self-righteous, those who were in the religious elite, those who thought they didn't need God, are not going to understand the parables. And frankly, you're going to see that even today, that people will say to you, well, you know, I see the parables, I've heard them, but I don't really understand what, what Jesus is, is doing, what, what it all means. Well, you're going to, we're going to drill down, and I'm going to give you a template uh, for understanding that. And so today, we're going to talk uh, about uh, two parables, short parables, that we find in Matthew th- uh, 13. Uh, and I want to give you uh, some background information on that, uh, before I get to the parables themselves. And, and this is really about Jesus talking about the price of the kingdom. The price of the kingdom. The price of salvation. How costly is it? What's your sense of appreciation for what God has done for you? And Jesus is going to lay this out uh, in two examples. Uh, and uh, clearly, this is also about understanding discipleship. And if you've been with me on Sunday, you know that I just started a four-part uh, series on discipleship. And if you're free on Sundays, I welcome you to come to the Naples Gathering Church and listen to that, that series. Uh, and uh, you're, we're going to delve deeply into the issue of discipleship. And so discipleship is not a, a lifestyle to be embarked on carelessly or recklessly, uh, and Jesus makes that point in Matthew 13. These, ma- these parables in Matthew 13 focus on the cost, the cost of being a Christian, the cost of walking with God, the cost of entering the kingdom of God. And it is a realm over which Jesus rules. The kingdom is over which Jesus rules. Uh, and everyone who belongs to the kingdom of God has yielded their lives to the lordship of Jesus. And here's the point, to walk with him, to pick up his cross. And I've made the point that we need to understand the difference between day one and day two as a Christian. Day one uh, is the day that someone comes to accept Christ and says, Lord, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I give you my life. That's day one. But you see, there's day two 
and the rest of your life. And day two is picking up the cross and walking with Jesus every single day, being sanctified uh, in that walk as you walk towards the cross of God and having your life changed and having the fruit of the Spirit poured into you and that fruit being exhibited to a lost world. That is day two. And that really is the cost of the kingdom. And Jesus uh, says in uh, the words of, of God are revealed rather in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, your citizenship is in heaven. Yes, you live in the United States. Yes, you're in America. Yes, you're in Naples, Florida. But your citizenship, your real citizenship, is not here in this world. Your citizenship is in heaven. You need to understand this. This is how you walk. We walk effectively as residents of the kingdom of God. Jesus made this clear in John chapter 18 where he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And you see that? That's why people don't get it. The kingdom of God is not of this world, really. And so many people are just so duped over this. They don't understand it. They don't understand why we as Christians are as passionate as, as we are about the kingdom of God because they are blind, you see. They're blind. Uh, they have not really seen the reality of what we've seen as we have become citizens of heaven. Uh, and so Jesus made it clear that we are to pray, really, for the coming of his kingdom, not only in this world, but the world to come. Uh, and you know, in the Lord's Prayer, he made it very clear, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's the primary prayer. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth on earth just as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. Uh, and one day, his kingdom will reside in this world. Uh, right now, it's a spiritual kingdom, but one day it will be a physical kingdom, effectively, as all of heaven will be taken down physically and will be relocated here on earth. And that's a day for me to talk about that uh, in the future. And so nothing, nothing in this world could match the, the price the priceless value of the kingdom of God, the priceless value of salvation, nothing that you can possess would compare to it. And so I want to emphasize this. I don't care what you have. I don't care what kind of wealth you have or affluence you have. Nothing that you have could compare to what God has given you for salvation. Can I get an amen on that? And I know it's early in the morning, but I want you to reflect on that, that that's the truth. That's the truth. Uh, that that's how valuable it is. And so don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget that, that that's what God has given you. And even when you have days that maybe you're a little low, you're not feeling as, as strong as ever, sometimes you make the mistake of looking at your stock portfolio. Forget your stock portfolio, all right? God is gonna take care of you, all right? He's gonna take care of you. Uh, and the important thing is not in this world, it's in the world to come. Uh, and so... The kingdom of God does not belong to self-righteous people. People who believe their individual merits are what's going to take them there. Your individual merits are meaningless. God sees you as saved through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ. That's why you're saved. God sees you as righteous because he looks first through Jesus and he sees you attached to the body of Christ. 
and so here's a couple of kingdom laws that we need to understand even as we walk in this world. The first one is you must be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. You must be perfect. That's the standard you see for kingdom people. That's the standard that we adhere to. You must be perfect. That's found in Matthew 5, verse 48. Jesus speaking that way. So, look, we know we're going to sin. We know we're going to fall. But at the same time, when we pick ourselves up, the mark, the rule, is perfection. Uh, and, and why do I say that? Because in James chapter 2, verse 10, we learn that whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble at one point of the law is guilty of all. How about that? That's the standard of God, you see. God is absolutely holy. You see, what happens to people is they do not really understand absolute perfection and holiness. So many of us in this world have just gotten used to compromise. You understand that compromise. Well, I'm doing okay. It's like horseshoes. I got close. Uh, I'm a lot better than everybody else on my street. Look at me. I'm a good father. I'm a good husband. Look, I'm a lot better than all my neighbors. There's nobody in the golf club that looks like me and acts like me. Look, folks, you're comparing yourself to the wrong people. Start comparing yourself to Jesus. Now when you get up in the morning, look in the mirror and see Jesus looking back at you. Ooh, how does that feel? You feeling strong? You feeling meritorious? You feeling, you feeling like you're holy and righteous? Or instead do you feel like putting your face in the dust and say, Lord, I love you. I submit to you, Lord. I'm so grateful that you've saved me because of your grace. Yes, Yes, you're saved. Yes, you have a, a great life. Yes, you're going to be going to heaven. Yes, you're going to be with Jesus and God and the patriarchs. Yes, you're going to be with your family that have died in the Lord, but all because of Jesus Christ on the cross. Nothing that we do, nothing in any of our own merit uh, in any way addresses that. Uh, and so we need to understand that. Isaiah 64, verse 6 uh, says it well. Uh, and there it says there that we are all unclean things and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. That's God's measurement. So when you look and you talk about the fact I'm a righteous man, you ought to know that when God looks at our righteousness, he sees it at filthy rags. Instead, if you say, I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by Jesus Christ and I'm going to heaven because of Jesus, God sees that as righteous. You see the difference? One is a self-righteous attitude. The other is the attitude of appropriation of the death of Christ. It's all the difference in the world. And that's the message that we have to give to those in the world that are lost. And so in effect, Jesus paid the entry fee for you to the kingdom of God. Uh, he is the only one in the universe who could pay that high price. Only one. And he volunteered for that before the entire world was established and created. Uh, and it is all because of grace. And we find this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, because it says there, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, 
not by work so that no one can boast. That's a verse that belongs on your refrigerator. All right? There it is. By the grace of God, you have been saved. By the veritable gift of Jesus Christ. By the fact that God bankrupted heaven for you. For you. For your name. Jesus had your name in his palm when he died on the cross. This is a personal appropriation, and you're going to hear about that today as we talk about this. Um, this is an important, important point to make. It is important that we recognize and urge people to count the cost of discipleship. That's what this is about today. Counting the cost of discipleship. Counting the cost of salvation. And Jesus will do this in the most profound way uh, in these two parables today. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 44. It's two verses, but very profound uh, as Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and the cost. And I'm reading there, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Jesus urges all who would enter the kingdom of of heaven to consider what it will cost. What was the cost for you to be saved? What was the cost? And do you truly understand and consider the cost? The first parable is simply a single verse. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. This would be familiar, you see, to the listeners of Jesus' time. They would recognize that this was something that would happen periodically, that people would find things abandoned in open fields under Jewish law. You know, when I, I remember as a kid hearing this and finding it a little offensive, right? This guy goes out in a field and all of a sudden he finds this treasure. Uh, and what does he do? Does he go back to the owner of the property? Does he say, hey, I, I found this treasure you need to know about it that's out there? No, what does he do? He covers it up. He covers it up, hides it, and then goes out and buys the field. You right? You understand that? So there's something about it that didn't seem right to me as a kid. Well, it's only as I studied it later that I, under, that I came to understand that under Jewish law, anything you found in a field was yours. It did not belong to where the house was. The field was a separate appropriation. And so, uh, why? Because people often hid things during those times because of war, because of criminals. It wasn't unusual that people would hide things in a field. And so the law was that if you stumbled upon something in a field, that you could take that, that you could own that. Well, here, uh, this man uh, finds something in this field, uh, and instead of going to the owner, he goes and really determines to go and save as much money as he has, liquidates everything that he has. This is the key to this message. He liquidates everything that he had. He sold everything that he had in order to go and buy that field. That's a recognition 
of how valuable it is and, and what discipleship is and what the kingdom of God is, effectively liquidating everything and buying the field in order that he may gain the hidden treasure. That's what Jesus is saying, how you have to think about having salvation and being able to be a disciple and walking in the kingdom of God. There's nothing that you have that compares to it. And if, in fact, you have to liquidate everything, liquidate it. Now, what's the liquidation in terms of our own life? It means we put priorities on our lives today. What do I mean by that? You don't get wrapped up in work so that work is the preeminent aspect of your life so that you don't do the kingdom of God, so you don't serve God's will, so you don't go to church, so you don't go to Bible. I'm too busy. God knows my heart. No, he knows your heart all right. Oh, he knows your heart. He sees where your heart is. It's like God's here and my stuff's up here. My stuff takes precedence. You see, God sees this. You're dealing with an absolutely holy God. That's why Jesus has given this. Jesus is saying to you that you can liquidate everything, that everything that you own is of no consequence whatsoever when it comes to the kingdom of God. So don't get stuck because you joined a golf club. Oh, I'm on the golf team. I got to play every Sunday. After all, I paid a lot of money to become a member. You see how good things really wind up obstructing our view of God? Or how about this? I bought a boat. Ooh, I got a boat. I got to be out in that boat. Got a lot of money in that boat. Again, God gave you the blessing of the boat, and instead of being a blessing, it becomes an obstruction. Here's a big one. How about family? Ooh, that's the third rail for a lot of us. Family, meaning what? Well, I got a wife. I got a wife, and you know, I got to keep my wife happy. You know, I can't really get involved in everything advancing the kingdom of God because she wants me to be be home. Jesus has said, leave family if you have in order to serve God. You should be the kind of husbands that say, I'm walking with God. Walk with me. And when you do that, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be the kind of example that God wants you to be. And wives will follow their husbands when they see that. There could be nothing more joyous for a wife than to see her husband dedicated to the service of God. Everything else that you have is of no consequence. That's the point of this story uh, and, and why it's so profound to me. He sold everything that he had in order to gain that treasure. Everything. Now, the second parable, you see, makes the same point, but in a little different way. Uh, and there, that second parable says, well, again, the kingdom of, of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Again, that's in Matthew 13, 45 to 46. Now, this man was most likely a wholesaler of jewelry and pearls, a wholesaler. Uh, and so he was looking as he traveled for high-grade pearls. He was actively looking for them. Now, during this time, pearls, you see, were the equivalent of diamonds, the equivalent of diamonds. Uh, and, and so if you had fine pearls, effectively, you owned a fortune. A single pearl uh, could, that of, of high quality could be of immense value during that period of time. That's why Jesus said uh, in Matthew 7, verse 6, do not cast your 
pearls before swine. Why would Jesus say that? Because the things of God, the word of God is not to be given to people that don't respect it. That's what these parables are all about. That's why God brought the curtain down by people who didn't respect God's word, who repudiated God's word. God doesn't have patience for that. So don't take the pearls and cast them before the swine. Meaning what? You come across people that have no interest, no interest in hearing about the things of God. You don't sit there and continue to knock and knock and knock and knock. You leave that to God. But the Lord's telling you, cast not your pearls before the swine. In each of these parables, you see the main characters did what any savvy investor would have done under the same thing. They make the central point that these people recognize the unsurpassable value of the kingdom of God and that everything they had had to be spent in order to acquire the kingdom of God and be a part of it. Philippians chapter 3 Verse 7 reads as follows, but at whatever, and this is Paul who got it, he really got it, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage garbage that I may gain Christ what did he lose he lost position he lost stature he was a Pharisee's Pharisee he was one of the leaders of the Sanhedrin he lost his family who repudiated him here's a guy who had every right to believe that he was at the top of the mountain on the food chain of religiosity and then on the road to Damascus on his way to persecute the Christians after he was involved in the death of Stephen, Jesus meets him, knocks him on his horse and effectively brings him into the kingdom of God. And he understood, I've lost all things. Everything that I had before was garbage. Gosh, I love that. It was garbage. Meaning I can't compare where I was or what I had. I don't care about my position. I don't care that I don't have friends that respect me anymore because I have Jesus Christ. That's how we are to live with that kind of element in our life, understanding that. Uh, because we understand that, that the kingdom is priceless. There is no comparison. And so we have eternal uh, remuneration beyond anything that we could put a price tag on, beyond anything. And so the thing about the uh, kingdom is that it consists of everything that is eternal and everything that isn't true. And so here's the point. Not only does your treasure abide in heaven, but your treasure abides in earth because the fruit of the spirit is poured into your life now. You know how before you weren't kind, you weren't generous, you weren't loving, you were angry and bitter and revengeful? Well, here's the thing. Once you bought that pearl, once you've found that treasure and you've appropriated to yourself, your life has changed. Yes, yes, the kingdom and the treasure is on the other side, but it's also here and now. 
This is what we have to emphasize. It's here and now. Your life changes. You're not the same man or woman that you were before. You don't act the same way. You don't act out in anger or revenge or bitterness. Instead, you reflect, and when you reflect, God convicts you. Oh, Father, I shouldn't have said that, Lord. I didn't mean to do that. That's the old flesh in me. Please forgive me. Please wash me. And he does. He does. Uh, And so here you are having this treasure in a poverty-stricken, bankrupt world. How about that? You have this treasure. God has given it to you. And so the question here, Jesus wants you to reflect on, do you really appreciate it? Do you understand this? Because your salvation includes, with the fruit of the Spirit, forgiveness, love, joy, peace, virtue, goodness, Glory and eternal life in heaven. How's that? That's something like you think you'd want? Is there anything that you own, any stocks, any house, any possession that compares to this? There's absolutely nothing. Only a fool would, would not see this in any way. Only a fool would not relinquish everything that he had in order to have this, to be a part of the kingdom of God. Now, the second lesson here for us as Jesus teaches us here, is that the kingdom is not superficially visible. You don't see it. It's not in front of you. And that's why the world doesn't get it, you see? It's, not, it's only spiritually visible, all right? And spiritually visible when God gives you the Holy Spirit that you're now able to see it. That's why the treasure was hidden, you understand? It's not out there for the world to see it. Only those who are seeking it, who bow before the throne of God and say, Lord, I need a savior. Father, I'm lost. That suddenly the treasure is visible. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, And likewise, the pearl had to be sought. That pearl was there, but you weren't going to find that pearl unless you went out and actively looked for it. How about that? actively looked for the pearl, uh, as this individual did. Uh, And so here's the thing. Uh, It's there for those who seek it. You must seek the kingdom of God. You must actively look for it. You must actively dig up the dirt to find the hidden treasure. You must actively campaign and look for the pearl. It's not going to come to you until you go and do it. The kingdom of God does not come with fanfare. There's no horns blaring. You understand? You're not going to be able to watch television and all of a sudden see this is the kingdom of God. Oh, look at that. There's a picture of it. No, it doesn't work like this. It's a spiritual condition. And that's why the world doesn't get it. Uh, And so the natural world, this world, cannot perceive spiritual things. They're blind to it. They're blind to it. That's why Jesus is speaking in parables. This is how parables work. As God is speaking to you because you have bowed before the throne of God, you have recognized that you, you are broken. You have recognized that you need a Savior. And so because of all that, now spiritual reality is becoming visible to you. You see it. You understand it. You know what it is. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here. This is precisely how the parables work. Now, the true meaning is not immediately manifested. It's just not. It's only when you pray about it 
and ask God to give you discernment that you begin to understand that. And I hope that that's what we're doing here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, makes this point. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. How about that? No one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And so the kingdom, its value remains hidden from the carnal mind. They will not get it unless they bow to the will of God. They will not get it unless they mourn of their spiritual condition. Uh, this is what happens. This is why salvation is not highly esteemed. Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, we're all saved here in this room. But do you wonder why so many people don't really esteem salvation? That they're not breaking down the doors of the church? That they're not breaking down the doors of evangelism? They're not doing any of that because they don't understand. They don't have eyes. They can't see it. All right? They can't see it uh, because it is not visible uh, to, the, to the physical world. Uh, it re requires divine intervention. Uh, in, first, in John chapter 1, he makes this point. Verse 10, referring to Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. How about that? That's what it says about Jesus. He came, he was in the world. He came to the world. The world was made through him. He was the creative agent that created the world. Can you imagine what it had to be like for the Lord to sit there and to be on the Sea of Galilee knowing that he had created the Sea of Galilee or to walk up the mountains knowing that he walked up the mountains in every possible way. He saw this uh, and, and he knew it. And yet as he's walking with these 12 guys, these 12 guys do not get who he is. It'll be three full years before they'll understand who Jesus is. And only after Jesus dies on the cross will they finally come to terms. That's who Jesus is. That's the price of the kingdom of God. That's how valuable that pearl is. That's how valuable this treasure is. And so this, to a large degree, I believe, explains the extent of moral deterioration in our society today. Do you wonder why? Do you wonder why society is going down the drain? Do you wonder why we're sitting here praying for our country uh, in every way, praying for these, uh, uh, the government? It's because they have no sense of the kingdom of God. They have no sense of the value of salvation. They have no sense of their own moral deterioration. They think they're good. They think they're righteous. And all I would say is they are quickly going on the road to hell. And they're blind. They do not see. And they do not want to see. Because only those who are broken in their spirit only those who are looking for the kingdom of God, only those who look in that field and dig in that field, or only those who see a pearl and spend their lives looking for that pearl will find that pearl, and that will give them eternal life. That's how the kingdom of God works. As Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, 
and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, find. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. There it is. It's as simple as that. Ask, seek, knock. If you do that, you will find. You will go into the field. You will find the treasure. You will go and look for the pearl. You will find the pearl. But are you asking? Are you seeking? Are you knocking? Is you, is, are you bowed in your spirit? Or are you self-righteous? And do you say, I don't need to do that. I'm good. There's nothing wrong with me. These zealots that go to church, they're ridiculous. They don't understand. I'm a human being. Listen, I have my own desires. God created me. After all, he created me. That's right. He created me. You and you're a mess. You're a mess. You think you're good. But God recognized that even as he created you, he gave you the ability to shake your fist at him. Isn't that astonishing? Do you ever wonder that God would do that? He would actually make his creation be able to repudiate him. Oh, I don't know about you, but if I had a creation, I certainly wouldn't create him to repudiate him. I wouldn't want that. I'd want him to follow me around like a puppy dog. But you see, that's not how God is. He's so great that he allows us self-will, self-determination. He doesn't make anybody come to him who doesn't want to come to him. That's important. And so when you leave here and you begin to spread the gospel amongst the lost, I want you to recognize you are not the Savior. Don't beat yourself up because you've been speaking to people who refuse to accept salvation, who refuse to bow to the word of God. You are not the savior. You are the messenger. And here's the thing. You give the message, and as God says, shake the dust off your feet. You move on. Your job was to spread the message. And so there's a third lesson here that needs to be distilled. And here is the third lesson as it relates to these parables. That is, the kingdom is personally appropriated. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, in both examples, you see, the key people were individuals. And these individuals went out individually and sought, and individually acquired and individually liquidated everything they had. They did it individually, and that's the point of, of understanding this. There are not any automatic members of the kingdom of God. And Jesus was doing this because his audience was first century Israel. He was speaking to the religious elite who believed they were the chosen people. We are the chosen people. We are the children of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, yes, Moses, who they all tried to kill. He's our guy. He are the chosen people. And what he was saying was, I don't care who your patriarchs are. I don't care that you think you're the chosen people. You need personal appropriation. Is it, isn't it obvious? You have to be the one that digs the treasure up yourself. You have to be the one who goes and looks for the pearl. You have to be the one who liquidates everything that you have in order to acquire that. Each person appropriates, appropriates it to himself. I don't care if you're a member of a church. Your church membership is not acquiring the kingdom of God. The question is you personally. What are you doing? And so Jesus is teaching it's not enough to be a Jew. It's not enough to be an Israelite. You need more, much more than that. You need a personal decision. 
Uh, and you know it's funny, they will say that people like us, the born-agains, make a big deal about you having to make a personal decision. And I know some denominations don't, don't ascribe to that. But can it be any clearer here? This is Jesus speaking. This isn't John Garippa. This is Jesus' parable, speaking about the need for personal appropriations. He dug the treasure himself. It wasn't sitting there, given, it, given to him by somebody else. The man who went out for the pearl went and acquired the pearl himself. Personal appropriation. The fruit of the relationship of true love with Christ and the complete submission to his will in every possible way. That's how this works. Personal appropriation and complete submission in every way, bowing before the throne of God. Now, the lesson, lesson, last lesson lesson four on this issue, is that the kingdom is the true source of joy. If you want joy in your life, you want happiness in your life, uh, what it says really is that you're not going to have it unless you acquire the kingdom of God, unless you are saved. Uh, Jesus said this well in John 16, verse 24. <clears throat> and Jesus said there, until now you have not asked for anything in my name, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Do you have complete joy this morning? Honestly, I know you have problems. I know you have issues. I know you go to the doctor. I know your stock portfolios have taken a hit the last month. I understand that. I understand that some of you have issues at home, your relationships, but the point is God has given you the ability to have joy. And how do you have joy? You reflect on the value of that pearl. You reflect on the value of that treasure. Have you truly done that? Have you bowed before the throne of God and say, God, you have given me all this. I don't deserve it. It's because of Christ. And when you do that, the unsurpassing joy of God will pour into your life. Look, I'm not saying that you act like you've been lobotomized. I'm not saying that. Yes, you reflect on the day-to-day -day issues, but you reflect uh, with a, a sense of, of distance. You know what's true. You know what's valuable. You know where you're going. You're going to heaven. You understand? And nobody is going to take you out of the hand of God. There's nothing more important in your life. And so here's the other point that, that you need to focus on. Uh, as Jesus is saying this in this parable. And that is not everyone, not everyone comes to the kingdom by the same approach. I found, I, as I studied this, I thought this was very interesting. Not everyone comes to the kingdom in the same way. Uh, and you see that here. As we deliver the message to a lost world, not everyone in this world is going to accept it uh, and have it delivered to them in the same way. There's a difference in these stories. In the first story, this man stumbles on this treasure. He stumbles. He's walking in a field, and suddenly he sees this, this treasure, and he comes upon it by accident. In the second instance, this man was actively seeking it, looking for it, searching for it. And so you see, that's exactly how the kingdom of God works. There's diversity in the kingdom of God. There's not one uniform way people are going to come to accept it. You need to know this as you go in and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul, how about that? Paul came across it by accident. By, by accident. 
on the road to Damascus as he was out pursuing Christians, <coughs> seeking to put them in jail, seeking to murder them, seeking to end Christianity, Jesus intervenes, knocks him off the horse, blinds him, and in three days he will become effectively the greatest evangelist in the history of the world. By accident, but planned by God. Uh, but there's other instances. Look at the Samaritan woman by the well. She comes again. She comes across it by accident. She's out there drawing water. But by accident, she comes face to face with Jesus. Now, on the other hand, you see, you have the Ethiopian eunuch who's coming, who had come to Jerusalem to worship, and now he's returning to Ethiopia. He's reading his Bible, and he's reading Isaiah, but he doesn't understand it. Uh, and then Philip is put there by the Holy Spirit, and Philip... Uh, as this man is searching and looking, Philip is provided by God to explain exactly what he was reading in Isaiah. You see how God is? He sees the need of the person. He sees the heart. Some will find it by accident. Some will find it by purpose. But we have to be there to be the hands and feet of God. We have to be there to be able to present uh, the the cost of the kingdom and so saving faith faith that will save your life faith that will save you uh, from being lost uh, comes with a great price the prize has to be purchased and the purchase can only be made by Jesus nothing that you have no acquisition that you can have can pay for it other than Jesus you can't purchase it you can't do it you can't get it because you're a meritorious patient person saving faith is not a physical act like walking up to the front of the aisle in a church that's not what it is saving faith is a faith that begins in your heart that bows your face before the throne of God and recognize that I am lost and I need a savior that is saving faith that is the nature of what God wants. It is the total surrender of everything that you have to God. That's what's required. And so you have to sit here today and you're listening to this message. I hope it comes home to you that whatever I have, wherever I'm going, I have to be totally surrendered to God. I have to total surrender to Jesus Christ. I have to recognize what he did for me, the price of discipleship. And you know, Jesus often turned people away. We don't talk about this. But there were people that came to Jesus putatively who wanted to be disciples. And yet, you see how Jesus uh, responded. Take a look at Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And there we see, as they were walking along the road, that's Jesus, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus replied. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But that man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And let me explain that to you. His father hadn't died. His father was ill. And so he was, wanted to go home and take care of his father until his father died. Who, how long, who knew how long that would be? He was more concerned about that. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Are you getting a sense for the value of the kingdom of God, how Christ looks for you, what your role is, how you have to step up uh, and start today? Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service 
in the kingdom of God. No one. So there it is. If you want to walk with Christ, if you want to serve him in the kingdom of God, if you want to be used by him, if you want to be in the first rank of the evangelists and doing what God has called you to do, you don't look back. You don't look back, you look forward. You say, Father, everything that I have, everything that I own, I'm giving it to you, God. I want to walk with you. I want to serve you because I know what it costs. I know what it cost. And the price was great. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for these words. I thank you for these parables. I thank you, Lord, as, as you've given us the Holy Spirit to unpack them. Lord, I ask you that as we leave here, let these words resonate in our heart as we understand how great this cost was and the expectations that you and Jesus have of us today as we walk. Father, strengthen us. Encourage us. Let us know that we need to be stronger with you, that our own works are meaningless, that our own righteousness is meaningless. And as we do that, let us focus on the cross, walk towards you for every day of our life. This is the day to experience. Let us embrace it as we give this message to a lost world. Protect our people this week and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all. Stay warm.